Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Go ahead and get your Bibles out and turn to Matthew chapter 22, if you would. While you're turning there, I'm just going to ask the Lord for grace. Father, we need to hear from you, uh, not from some guy. I pray that you would let your word be preached in a way that transforms us. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 22, that's where I would like for you to be, but also you can keep your finger in Deuteronomy 6 if you want to find it. We'll be going there eventually. But Matthew 22, uh, these next three weeks, as you may have already noticed, is kicking off the rolling out of a new mission statement uh, in a little series called The Greatest Mission. Uh, back in 2017, I talked to Pastor Chris uh, Police. Some of you know Chris Police. He was a pastor here prior to me, faithfully served, left some really big shoes to fill. Uh, but one of the things that he did when he was here in 2017 is he established and defined the church's mission and values, to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ, and then the values that support that. And one of the key things that he did was he oriented the understanding of the purpose of our church around discipleship, around the multiplication of disciples. And he implemented these values to to help support that mission. So that mission statement served well to define what we believe is a, a, a strong mission, a purpose for the existence of this group of people, this organization, this organic thing that God called the church, and we've seen the fruit of it. We're seeing the fruit of it. Now, in, last, in our last membership meeting, I put together a proposal to put before our membership uh, to consider refining the mission a little bit, changing it up just a little bit. We're not leaving this sense of discipleship, but we're clarifying a little bit more because one of the things that multiplying faithful followers of Jesus Christ implied was evangelism, but it didn't really well imply maturity. It didn't imply the faithfulness of the faithful followers, so to speak. And so one of the things that we're hoping to do is to clarify that it's both, it's both expanding and deepening disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we rolled out this proposal for a new mission, and today we're going to start with a series that goes through each of the different parts of this new mission statement that we're calling in this series, The Greatest Mission. Now, how arrogant does that sound? It sounds pretty arrogant, right? Yeah, we've got, we've, <laughs> we've got the greatest mission. Everyone else's is terrible, inferior, look at us, we're the greatest Now, I just, again, want to be careful and say that that's not what we're meaning, not exactly. Uh, We're getting this understanding of the greatest mission from the idea of simple math and combining some of the things that Jesus said were the greatest. So, for example, one, the greatest commandments plus the great commission, which is what we've titled it, equals then the greatest mission. That's simple math in English for you. So, again, we're going to take the next three weeks to walk through these different parts, these three things, to love God, to love people, and to make disciples, and talk about how integral they are to the life and the purpose of this local body. In fact, that's kind of what's implied when we say it's a mission statement, isn't it? 
Like, like we're not like Tom Cruise hanging off the side of a cliff and this little thing comes flying in us. No, this is, we're, we're getting this from God's word and it's defining what we're going to be about, what we're doing, what we're setting ourselves to. That's actually what a mission statement is. And by the way, just if, in case you don't know, having a website that says what our mission is and having our members repeat it again and again until they memorize it is not commanded by Jesus. It's not a biblical requirement. You don't even have to have a defined mission statement for your church, but you ought to know what you're supposed to be doing. So the idea of a mission statement comes from practices in the, in the organizational world. Some of the, some of the ways that it has helped to define and clarify for people within and people outside of the organization, what that organization is doing, what they're seeking to accomplish. It also shapes the practices, it shapes the culture of that organization, their priorities, their values. And so then that way the organization down the road can identify the things that fail to accomplish that mission or the things that are getting in the way of accomplishing that mission. So uh, let, let's do a quick, quick group practice. Uh, how many of you know what McDonald's mission statement is? I knew it! Ba-da-ba-ba-da, I'm loving it. That's not the mission statement. That's called a slogan. <laughs> Let me ask an easier question. What is it that McDonald's does? They make burgers and fries. They make burgers and skimpy french fries. I guess I'm touching on some toes there. McDonald's, it's good. You know their mission statement is this. To make delicious, feel-good moments easy for everyone. You can go to their corporate website. That's literally what it says, our mission, about us, our mission, to make delicious, feel-good moments easy for everyone. It's like, okay, all right, they serve burgers and french fries. And that's their mission. So now what that means is all of their locations, all of their sites, all of their staff and employees, they now understand what they're working towards, why their sites and locations exist. Here's another practice. What about this one? Uh, how many of you know the company called Charmin? What, what, what do they make? Toilet paper. Toilet paper. Now some of you thought, wait, we're talking about the bathroom and the church? everybody poops. Let's just say it. You know, Charmin has their own mission statement as a company. They do. It's not, it's not the teddy bear. It's not the big bear that always wipes himself. It's, it's this, to bring people better bathroom experiences. That's, that's on their website. I think they succeed at it. But guys, like, like the reason why I'm showing you this one out of all of them is simply this. If a company that makes toilet paper has clearly defined what they're going to set themselves to, toilet paper, don't you think we as the people of God ought to clearly define what is the greatest adventure and venture anyone can set themselves to in this life? We ought to very clearly know what we are doing. We ought to make sure that we're, we're orienting ourselves, our lives, and all of our ministries. And I don't like calling them programs. Some people call them programs. I don't care about programs. But, but all of that we do in this church 
around these concepts. You know what's so funny is that sometimes when an organization uh, suffers issues within it, one of the things that they do is they roll out a new mission statement thinking it's going to fix everything. Now, that's not why we're doing this. I don't even think we got some issues. I mean, I know we're all sinners needing God's grace, but like our church, we're, we're, we're on the move. We're doing stuff. So this isn't an attempt to fix anything that's wrong because this isn't how you fix it anyways. It's just this, it's going to take a lot of effort to realign potentially, but there's a lot of things that don't have to be realigned because it's already in line with it. But it all starts with just simply us sharing our understanding being convinced that, man, this really is the greatest thing that I can do with my life. What Jesus has tasked us with, and that is to love God, love people, and make disciples. And so today we're going to simply focus on the first part of that statement. And I believe it is the mainstay. It's going to be the strength of us accomplishing our mission, and that's simply love God. Can you say love God? Love God. When we say God, we're not just simply trying to reduce Him down to one being. We understand He is triune in nature. So to say love God, we're saying love the Father, love the Son, and love the Spirit. We're saying all of that. But the emphasis of this command comes from Jesus Himself in Matthew 22. If you're not there already, get there. Matthew chapter 22, in verse 34. Check it out. It says, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. The Pharisees came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test Jesus. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Now, just pause there for a second. Matthew's rendition of this asks, which one is the greatest? Mark's copy is, which one is most important? Which one is first? Look at what Jesus responds. He does the same way in, in Mark, with just some variation as the answer. But he says, he said to him, verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. This is the word of the Lord. So you may have heard different translations, different renderings of the love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul. You might have heard mind and strength. You might have heard just strength. All these different things. You might have just heard mind. There's different things. But central to all of this is the greatest commandment from God to His people Love God. Greatest commandment of all. What do you think when we think of the word command? Usually we think it's like a demand. Like, you got to do this. Commandments in Scripture are not simply that. They are necessary. They are things that God says are necessary for life and godliness. Anything short of this, and you miss the mark. Now, Jesus calls this the greatest command, and the, 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 the Pharisee was testing him from the law with homemade pies, right? Guys, you got to realize how much time your kids are spending being formed and shaped by things that are out of your control. You're the one who gets to spend the most time with them, apart from maybe a teacher at school. 
It's not us. We might get them two hours on a Sunday morning. Maybe one. It's you. And you're probably thinking, wait, wait, wait. So if I've got the responsibility, if the Lord's given me as a parent or a guardian the responsibility to to teach my kids his words, how am I going to find time for that? Well, Moses tells you, verse 19 and 20, teach them to your children. Read that. Talking about them when you sit down in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. So, so here's the big trick. Here's the big thing, the, the big solution Moses gives for the discipleship of the next generation, the overarching strategy for forming your kids like an arrow. It is simply this, repurpose neutral moments and spaces. You say that with me, one, two, three? Repurpose neutral moments and spaces. That's basically his instructions if you were to uh, fiddle them all down, right? Repurpose the idle times and the idle spaces, and you will craft your kid along the way. Take the idle times when you're together and, and the certain spaces that you have in your own home and repurpose them, make them useful. I mean, if you look at this passage, there's kind of four things that he tells us here. Things that we can do to teach our kids God's word, to help form them and shape them in the neutral moments and with neutral spaces. So let's, let's take a look at them. The first one, he says, is what? Talk about God's word where? In your home. So let me just ask you a really wild question. Are you ready? Are there times when you're sitting in your home? Duh, right? What else do you do in your house besides sleep, sit, and eat, and, and whatever, right? You, you sit in your home. Hey, that's a great time to talk about the word of the Lord with your kids when you're sitting down in your house. Isn't that a something, right? Instead of pulling out your phone to scroll through the endless feed or turning on the TV, like you can just sit there and talk with your kid about God's word. It's an option that's on the table, pretty cool. You, you, one of the things that our family does, I know some of our families here do, is we do a skit sometimes. We'll act out a parable of Jesus. My kids love the, uh, the uh, Talitha get up, right? The, 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 the little girl one. They, they love me being the little girl getting healed. I don't know why. <laughs> but, but they love getting to act that one out. Or just sit, open up and read a, a, a Bible story to them. Use those neutral moments in your home. Repurpose those neutral moments. Turn off the TV, put the phone on timeout, and bring your kid close. That's one way you can do it. Talk about God's word in your home. Another thing Moses says is talk about God's word where? Along the way. Here's another wild question. You ready? Do you have time when you're driving in a car or sitting in a car? Hey, there's a great time for you to talk about the Lord with your kids. You can, you can, you can do all sorts of stuff to, to make that a wasted time. Like you can turn on some Rascal Flats, right? Or you can turn on the news. 
Or you could turn on some Caleb. You could turn on some worship music. You could turn on some gospel songs. You can repurpose those moments. You know what they also do is there's some churches that make some really good kids' podcasts. Some of you don't know what that is. Don't worry about it. For those of you who do, podcasts, like kids' Bible story podcasts, they're dramas. You remember as old, the older generation, you guys remember sitting by the radio listening to the late night dramas, didn't you? They make those for kids now with God's word, and they're on your phone. Take them with you when you go. And play them in the car. One of the things that I try to do with my kids when we're going home from church is I try to ask my kids, hey, what did you guys talk about in Sunday school today? What did you, you talk about in kids' church this morning? And, and, and if, you're like, if, if your kids are anything like my kids, you might get something like, I don't know. <laughs> They're just looking out the window. They don't want to talk. So you know what I do? I learned this from uh, one of my good friends who's a, an educator, a teacher. One of the things that you can do is you can say, oh, 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 I heard, did you learn about how purple elephants can fly and have 2,000 teeth? And they're like, no, we learned this. And you're like, ha ha, gotcha. You just say something absolutely ridiculous. And they say, no, dad, it was this. And you're like, oh, okay, gotcha. Well, what does that mean? And you take time to talk about, well, where's it come from God's word? And, and how do you want it to be lived out in your life, Right? Maybe you can talk about some ideas of how to do that. But talking about God and his word after practices, recitals, after school, whenever you're going along the way, talk about God and his word. Third thing he says, he says, talk about God's word when? When you lay down and when you get up. You see how accessible this is? Another really dumb question. Do you go to bed at night? Is there a day where you get up at least once? Yeah, absolutely. should be every day, or else you wouldn't be here. When you're tucking them into bed at night, when you're waking them up in the morning, when, when, when you're at the dinner table, when you're at the breakfast table, talk about God with your kids. You know, I... I, I don't remember telling this to you. I may have shared this with you once, but the truth is I only have one life story that I can draw illustrations from, so I might have to repeat them several times just to, anyways. So I remember back when I was in middle school and high school, one of the things that my dad did is that he would get up every single morning and read through a devotional with us while we were having breakfast. Like, I mean, you know, <laughs> kids are getting up at like six something to go to school these days, right? And, and there, he's sitting there just reading this devotional with us every morning. And, and I can tell you this, I, I, I wasn't saved, I wasn't actually treasuring Jesus, I didn't treasure God's word, and so there was a season where I just got really mad at my dad because he was doing that. Why? I don't have a clue. But I would, I, I remember one morning where I was yelling at him before school saying, like, you are just wasting your time. I wasn't even listening Very next morning, he was up reading to us again. When you go to bed, pray with your kids, read them a story. 
share a, a quick truth from God's Word. Trust me, our kids' ministry has done an excellent job equipping all of you parents with resources and materials, and we're about to give you some more. We're about to give you, uh, in, in a few weeks, a kid's version of the Pilgrim's Progress. Trust me, my kids have read it, and they love it, and I'm going to read it to them again. Take those neutral times and repurpose them. And stick it out even if your kids yell at you and tell you how annoyed they are with you. But you see, Moses wasn't just talking about those neutral moments. He was also talking about neutral spaces. Look at verse 20. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Take these words and write them. In other words, make your home speak God's word. Guys, you have a lot of neutral space in your own home. You have a lot of neutral space on those walls. Unless you're uh, on HD, uh, HDTV all the time and you've already filled your walls with stuff. But you have doorposts, you have walls. You can fill your home with truth. But most often we fill them with trendy sayings like, home is where the heart is. Or, or, or I, life isn't measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. I read that off of one we have at our house. Or my favorite one, right? Just right next to the coffee maker. Hmm. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus and coffee. (laughs) You could do some trivial, trite things like that. Or you could fill your house with the Word of God and allow your walls to speak. His truth. Fill your homes with sayings from God's Word. So, for example, again, this may have been something I've already shared with you. I don't know. But again, one life that I lived. I can't share multiple stories from lives that I didn't live. My mom was, loved to decorate our house, and, and she often did it with God's Word. So, for example, um, in our guest bathroom, right across from the porcelain throne, uh, she put a little bucket and in the bucket was like one of those scent bags. And it had a picture of grapes on it. And it had a scripture verse on it. So that, I mean, remember this. We didn't really have phones in. If you were sitting down, doing the thing everybody does. <laughs> you didn't have your phone to entertain you. All you could do is just read the one thing that was there. And it was John fifteen five. Talk about knocking out two birds with one stone. That's why I memorized John 15, 2. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As a kid, I memorized that because God, like God used my parents to allow our home to speak his truth to us. So don't tell me that you can't repurpose those neutral spaces. Guys, I did the research. We have a Hobby Lobby just 32 minutes from here. It is 29.4 miles. They've got a ton of scripture art. Go put it up. Now, again, ladies, if you're thinking that this is just the excuse to go get a whole new furniture set and, and everything else, like just I'm not saying that, husbands, I'm sorry if they go wild. But the point is, let your home speak God's truth too. Because 
We, our parents, our, as, kid, as, as parents of kids, as, as grandparents, as guardians, as single moms and dads, we have that responsibility to craft our kids like they are arrows. And we can do this crafting with them while we're along the way, while we're doing life with them in our homes, uh, on the road, in our laying down, in our rising, and with our houses. So with that, I, I have just... Um, one last thing that I think needs to be shared to keep in mind as we're trying to implement this into our lives. Something that I think is vital for us to understand. We are not under the same covenant Moses and the Israelites were under. We are under a new covenant, a new arrangement with God, which means we are a gospel people not a law people. We are a grace people. We're not trying to keep obedience to the law to earn God's favor and be righteous enough to inherit the blessings. No, we are under a gospel of grace that isn't based on our performance or our goodness. Remember what we talked about with the kids last week? But on Christ and His fulfillment of the law and His righteousness. So we are not to be law-minded parents. We're not to be about simply teaching our kids moralism. I heard it once said, teach your kids only morals and you will have immoral children. Teach your kids the goodness of God and you will have godly children. You see, God's word his words, what he says, isn't simply just the do's and the don'ts. Now, there are some in there, right? But that's not all that we're to talk about with our kids. We're, we're to talk about the gospel, this new covenant of grace, which, which means that we're, we're trying to talk to our kids about two main things, gospel stories and gospel principles. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Gospel stories and gospel principles. Guys, the gospel is primarily a story, and it's primarily a principle. It's a story because every verse in the Bible is either building up to a presentation of or participation with the gospel. And here's what we'll say the gospel story is. It's a summation in four ways. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Say that with me. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Teach your kids about how God made everything that's good. Teach your kids about how he made them. And you will, you'll confirm their identity. That's not one that they get to make on their own. It's one that they receive from some God who deeply loves them. Teach them about creation. Teach them about the fall. You'll address why their heart's so messed up. And why the world's so crazy. Teach them about redemption, and that helps with relationships. Teach them about the restoration of all things, and that gives them a purpose. Tell them the story of the gospel. Convince them of it. Work hard to convince them of it. Because, guys, the gospel is so much better than anything. So we talk about gospel stories. But as we're doing these things and, and crafting our home and our, the environment for our kids to hear God's word, we're not just talking about stories. We're also talking about gospel principles. And one of the chief gospel principles 
is that we are saved by what? Grace alone. We are saved by grace alone, which means it's not our good works or our moral performance that gets us God's favor. It's Jesus' accomplishment. Imagine if they understood that that's how you were going to relate to them. Not only that, but we have another gospel principle here. Unconditional love. That if we trust in Christ Jesus, that God loves you so much that he's not going to keep a single record of your wrong, that he's not going to hold it up against you and keep you guilty. There's no condemnation. Meaning his love is absolutely unconditional for those who are in Christ. And it's not ever based on what you do wrong or fail to do right. Guys, imagine what that can do to your kids who's struggling with depression or loneliness. Imagine what it can do when you show them true forgiveness modeled in the heart of the gospel. Guys, we're working to teach our kids gospel stories and principles. Not just simply moralizing them. So for an example, right? The story of David and Goliath might be one that you share with your kids, right? David stepped up and slayed Goliath with one stone out of the five that he drew from the brook, right? You realize that that story is not about having the strength to slay the Goliaths in your life? It's not what that story is about. Don't moralize that story. Don't say, be like David. Tell them, no, you're more like everyone else in the army who, wouldn't, who couldn't conquer Goliath. No, no, instead of moralizing the story, gospelize the story, right? Because that story is about a substitutionary warrior who wasn't originally a part of that army, who steps in, takes on the mantle, slays the giant that no one else could, and his victory gets bestowed on everyone in the army. You see how gospelicious that story is? Gospel stories and gospel principles all pointing to Christ. Craft your kids with that. Repurpose the neutral moments and the neutral spaces with the good news of Christ Jesus. With those gospel stories and principles. Keep sowing the seeds of God's word over and over again. God's going to handle the soil type. As Jesus put it with his one parable, be like the wise man who builds his house upon the rock. Build your home upon the rock of Jesus and his word. Let's pray. Father, we love that you love us and that you loved us first before we loved you. That you found us in our wanderings in our rebellion and our pride and you offered up your son for our sake so that we who were sin could know him who was no sin who knew no sin and that he would take our sin for us and that in him we might become his righteousness and that one day we get to stand before you and present his righteousness this good gospel God we beg that you would equip us as, as this generation to equip the next generation, to teach the next generation of followers of Christ this good news of the gospel. Because we've seen it. 
It's our eyes that have seen the goodness of God. And we need our kids to see it too. So would you help us to testify in those neutral moments along the way, in our homes, in our rising, in our going to bed. Allow our houses, our walls to speak your truth. Equip us with those things. For our sake and for the sake of our kids. Please, God, get after the next generation. Every child that's in this church family, I pray they would have no need to wander away from the faith. Their hearts, I pray, would be captured by your beauty and the goodness of the gospel. And that's how they would relate to you all their days. Please, God, go after every one of our kids and go after these parents. Go after my heart too. Pursue us with your word and your spirit. We do love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you guys would stand, I'd like to pray a prayer of benediction over you. With that, if you have some time to kind of chill out here and and get to know some people, we'd love to meet you. If this is your first time here, we'd love to have some, some time where we just get to hear your story. There's some refreshments out in the cafe, so you can tide your hunger before lunch. But with that, um, if you need prayer, right, if, if you're needing prayer for encouragement or for healing, I'd love to pray with you. Please come meet me up here. I'd love to intercede on your behalf. We have some others who would join me as well in praying for you, so please come receive that free gift. The benediction today just comes from 2 Peter 3. It says this, may you grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And all God's people said, love you guys. Have an incredible week to be uh, with all your mind and strength, right? With, With your intellect and with your power, right? But, but, We're just going to hold on to this, right? Love God with everything, with all of you. Now, you may be thinking, oh, Scott, wait a minute, hold on. You're preaching from the Old Testament. You're preaching from the law, the Old Covenant. How important is it for us as New Covenant gospel beneficiaries of grace to to love God. I thought the whole new thing about the new covenant was just simply believe. Just faith alone, right? We talk about that all the time. Have faith. Isn't that what the New Testament is all about? Isn't that how we're saved? Oh yeah, but you surely have missed what that means if you're trying to reduce that down. So like our faith as new covenant believers is that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he lived a sinless life, that he died a penal substitutionary atoning death, that he rose from the dead, and that he ascended back to the Father. Right? So, so we have to have faith to accept that truth, that Jesus was sent from God to do those things and to be who God is. But in no way does that void the need to love God. In fact, it actually explained it even more about who the God is that we're loving, because now he is a son. And then we receive the Spirit. Now we love the Spirit. So now as New Covenant believers, we are to love Jesus as God. It takes faith to accept that Jesus is God, but then we love Jesus as God. 
Loving God in Christ Jesus. One of the things that Jesus said himself in John 8. If God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. You see, we believe Jesus is God and so we love Jesus as God. We count everything as lost for the surpassing worth and the experience of Christ Jesus and enjoying him having this great love for him. Yes, we are saved by faith alone, but not a faith that stays or is alone. Love for Jesus is vital. Think about it. James makes the argument, even demons have the same faith that Jesus is sent from God to earth, that he died on a cross in a way that atones for sins. And instead of loving him, they hated him. Guys, one of the things that faith alone was clarifying was that it wasn't faith and obedience coupled together in that sense. That, and Jesus even called it out that the, the Jews who, who believed in the law and, and, and obeyed every single part of it, even so specifically that they would tithe their herbs and their spices... Like how many of you go into your pantry and think, all right, I've got to give God some of my cumin, right? Like, no, they're doing this. But Jesus comes and he calls them out and he says, no, but you've neglected love for God. It's in Revelation 2 that Jesus writes to the church in Ephesus and, and, he, and, and, and he celebrates so much good that they're doing. They're doing all these things and he's just like applauding them and he says, oh, but, but wait, I've got, this, uh, I've got this one thing against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Like lovelessness is a sin that Jesus demands the church in Ephesus repent of. Or he was going to come and take their lampstand away. That's some hard truth. 1 Corinthians 16.22 literally says that the one who does not love the Lord Jesus... Let him be accursed. James 2.5 says it's the one who loves God who is the heir of the kingdom he has promised. In Ephesians 6.24, it says that it's, it, the grace of God is with those who have this undying love for our Lord Jesus. Loving God is the most excellent purpose that we can give our lives to. And if we want the pleasure of loving God forever, we must love Him now in Christ. It is the greatest command. It's the mainstay and the strength of our mission. And so, so that is why I believe the, the whole emphasis of of, of how we're kicking this off, the main takeaway from today is simply that our mission is to love God with everything about us, with our heart, with our being, with our muchness, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we prioritize that above all, above all our efforts to correct any disobedience within us. You think, yeah, yeah, to, 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 to prioritize loving God even above our ministries and our events. It's the central thing. Why? Because it's the love for God and His love for us that is the best fuel to put in the tank into the life of the church. It's going to be the best thing 
Guilt makes the worst motivator. Obligation doesn't do well either. No, our great craving for God is going to be the motive for everything we do worth anything. I mean, Jesus himself said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my commands. That's not, oh, well, I better keep his commands. No, love him. The natural overflow is, I'll keep your commands. And the commands will be to your joy, not to your duty. They won't be a robbery of your joy. They will be a component of it. His word also says that that we love him because he first loved us. And that because, because of his love for us and our love for him, we're able to then love other people. It's impossible to truly love other people without our love for God and his love for us. So like loving God is going to include the joyful obedience to his word. It's going to include believing all of his word. It's going to include thanking him for all of his word and all of his gifts. It's going to include prayerfully enjoying his presence. But all of that comes as overflowing praise and worship from our Ahava for God in Christ. And it's this enjoyment of God that makes all of our other responses truly glorifying to Him. You see, guys, there's a, there's a way that we can become so caught up in matters of obedience and disobedience, right? We can kind of use those to measure someone's love for God in a way, but, but to say, like, well, you just got to start obeying more. No, 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 you're, you're putting that cart way before the horse, right? No, no, love without service is fake, It's just lip service. Service without love is slavery. But love with service is true faith. Now, perhaps you're hearing all of this and and as you've heard the different dynamics of where we're supposed to be loving God from and you're thinking, like, well, let me take a look there. In my heart, is there any kind of love for God? Oh, boy, no. Anything? No. Oh, man. Maybe, maybe you've agreed that Jesus is God. Maybe you've agreed that he's died on the cross for you, that he gave his life for you, believe he did that, and he's going to take you to heaven when you die. But you're looking in your heart and you're saying, well, there's no affections for him in there. I don't actually want him. I just want his stuff. Maybe you never had it. Or... Maybe you once did. And somewhere along the way, that started flickering out from a full flame. Think about that. You remember those days when you were first really in love with God? How easy it was for him to be like, hey, go do this. All right, right? And now it's like, well, I've got kids and my car, like I need to wash it, right? Like, Maybe your love has grown cold. Maybe love for other things have just really gotten in the way. How do you get this love back? How do you start to crave, desire God again? How do you grow in it? Ask. And it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find Knock, 
And that door will be open unto you. Guys, you cannot find a love for God out in anything in the world. And you can't find a love for God mustering it within your own strength. No, only God can give you love for God. So you ask Him for it. You, you get on your face. God I, I, uh, God, I want to love you more. I'm tired of being this miserable Christian who's obligated by duty to you. God, I want to, I want to crave you and love you. I want this white-hot love for you, Jesus. Ask him for it. And then when he gives it, guard it. Pay, pay attention to those, those things in your life around you that are like logs for fuel on that fire. And you say, yeah, give me more of that. Put me in that environment, right? Fuel the fire more and more. And then pay attention to those things that are saying, no, we're going to put that flame out. And you treat them as hostiles. You make war against them because they're robbing you of your affections for Christ. Ask God for the gift and guard the gift. Put yourself in the environments where you encounter God himself. How on earth are you ever going to develop a love for anything if you don't first experience him? Encounter him in his word. Spend time meeting him in the house of prayer, in your closet, on the way. But I really do believe that it's going to start right now today declaring that your sole occupation the very reason why you even exist is to love God. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.